During the week, a friend forwarded to me a Facebook post from two years ago, and it reminded me that Thursday past, the 5th of January, marked the second anniversary of my installation here at Hamilton Road. An occasion like that naturally gives you pause to reflect. As I've been reflecting recently on what it's been like to be the minister here for the last two years, I've realized that one of the highlights for me has been the opportunity to work with the elders here in Hamilton Road. Before I came here, I held the Kirk session of Hamilton Road in high regard. As I've been working with the elders, I've been confirmed in that sense that they are godly men and women, godly leaders. Uh, a wonderful thing I've come to see is that you respect your leaders too. You know that you're blessed to be led by a, a group of people whose only passion is to point you to Jesus Christ. Leadership matters in the family of God. From the earliest days of the history of God's people recorded for us in the Old Testament, God gave leaders or elders to his people. We saw that actually in our, in our recent series in the book of Deuteronomy. You might remember that one Sunday we noticed a, a large amount of teaching about leadership. We called it Choose True Leadership, our, our sermon that day. The synagogues that characterized Judaism by the time of, of Jesus, they were also elder-led. So it was the most natural thing in the world for the early church, born as it was out of Judaism, to continue this God-ordained approach to leadership. And that's why we have Luke recording the experience, uh, or sorry, the existence and appointment of elders in Acts. We have Paul giving directions regarding the duties and the appointments of elders at various points throughout his epistles. The Bible is very clear. Leadership matters. Healthy churches need healthy leaders or elders. Presbyterianism has always been committed to a plurality of elders, a leadership team, if you like, or the Kirk Session to give it its historic and Scottish title. There are ruling elders, that is those elected by the congregation to lead and to pastor them. And there are teaching elders too. I'm one of those. I have equal authority in the life of the church with the other ruling elders, but I have a distinct calling to lead the preaching of God's word in this place. As I've said, working with the elders, the other leaders, has been one of the great privileges of my first couple of years here at Hamilton Road. From day one, I sensed that they have a heart for God and his glory. And that gives me great hope, great confidence that God can work in this place while we have that kind of a leadership. We're going to be electing new elders. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to invite all of our voting members to propose names to the Kirk session for them to consider for the role of eldership. To prepare for that election later in January, we're going to take three Sunday mornings 
to think about the process that we're about to enter into and to go to God's word to seek his guidance for this important moment in the life of our church family. Before we get into the biblical text, let me give you a little bit more insight into the process because I'm going to imagine that there's at least one person and possibly hundreds of people here who don't know how this works. The Kirk session wants you to be clear about what's going on and we want to be entirely transparent in our dealings with you. So to help clarify things, I'm going to flag up a few sections from the code. Uh, that the code is the governing document of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. And I'm going to make a few comments as we go. So first of all, I'm going to read from paragraph 177. The decision on when an election is to take place and the number of ruling elders to be chosen devolves normally upon the Kirk session. But any member of the congregation may petition the session on the subject and the decision of the session in these matters is subject to review by superior courts. So, one of you could have asked the Kirk session, it's time we had an election of elders, but you didn't. So we decided to do that ourselves. The Kirk session here at Hamilton Road approached the Presbytery of Ards in the autumn, and we asked for permission to appoint up to 10 new elders. And that permission was granted. Now you might be wondering why, why we asked permission to appoint new elders. Well, there are a couple of reasons at least that I've heard articulated as we have talked about this. First of all, we have a shrinking Kirk session. In the last couple of years, eight elders have chosen to step back from that responsibility, many of them after many years of long service. We're grateful, this gives me an opportunity to say how grateful we are to all previous elders here in Hamilton Road. So the team has been getting smaller. The team has also been getting older. They won't mind me saying that because all of us have been getting older. For some time now, the elders have been longing for what they are talking about is rejuvenation. They want new life in the Kirk session and they want that new life to be younger life. So there we are, two valid reasons why we're electing new elders. We want to grow the team and we want to rejuvenate it. Let's come back to the code, still paragraph 177. The minister shall explain to the congregation the duties and qualifications of ruling elders whose election is sought and paragraphs 30 and 31 of the code shall be read. As I've said, I'm going to preach for the next three weeks about the duties and qualifications of ruling elders. So you can put a, a mental tick beside that. And for now, let me read paragraphs 30 and 31 about the duties of the ruling elder. Isn't this great, reading the code together? We should do this more often. <laughs> the duty of ruling elders as members of Kirk Session is to work together with the minister in the oversight of the congregation, the oversight and government of the congregation for the upbuilding of God's people in spiritual fruitfulness and holy concord and for the extension of Christ's kingdom among all people. So, elders are working for your spiritual maturity, 
for our gospel unity and for more and more people to come and see Jesus as their king. Next slide. Ruling elders, by their calling, share equally with ministers in the responsibility for the practical witness both within the congregation and in the wider world. As I said, the, the ruling elder and the teaching elder or minister are equally responsible for the church's mission in the world. In the discharge of his duties, each elder should be assigned a district or special responsibilities within the congregation in which he may more particularly represent the Kirk session by visitation, private counsel, and report. But the Kirk session may assign such other duties as it sees fit. At present, our elders serve a network of districts and some have taken on additional responsibilities such as a deputy clerk of session or chairing a, a subcommittee or the like. For the sake of completeness, let me read paragraph 31, which deals with the qualifications for eldership. I'm going to deal with its contents in more detail next week. To be chosen for the office of the eldership in a congregation, a person must be a voting member of that congregation and a regular attendant on its ordinances. He should be circumspect and exemplary in his conduct, both in the church and in the world, and of acknowledged piety, endeavoring to maintain the worship of God in his family and held in esteem by the people. Women shall be eligible for election on the same conditions as men. A ruling elder shall not hold office in more than one congregation at the same time, except as a member of an interim session. Subparagraph two shall not apply to retired ministers who may be members in the congregation. Once you start getting into subparagraphs, it feels like time to stop, doesn't it? As I say, I'll deal with the qualifications for eldership in more detail next week. In the remainder of our time this morning, I'd like to talk to you about the duties of eldership. What are elders to do and how are they to do it? First Peter, the passage we read a moment ago will help us to think about this. Page 1220, if you need to turn it up again. If you look at verse 1 in chapter 5, you'll notice that Peter isn't addressing a context where elders are being elected or appointed. He's writing to people who are already elders. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. What duties does Peter want these elders to undertake? Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. That's interesting already. Peter's choice of image, of metaphor for what this work is. He doesn't say be managers. He doesn't say be strategists. It's not directors of the board he addresses. No. Be shepherds. Now let's be, let's work hard to make the connections between God's word and our church life. The code of the Presbyterian church, whether you love it or hate it, this is what it said. The duty of ruling elders is to work together with the minister in the oversight and government of the congregation 
for the upbuilding of God's people in spiritual fruitfulness and holy concord for the extension of Christ's kingdom among all people. That's clearly an awful lot wordier than what Peter says here, but we must be clear about this. What the code is talking about is the same work that Peter is talking about in our passage, albeit he's chosen to describe the work in terms of a classic biblical metaphor, that of the shepherd. It's little wonder that Peter chooses the metaphor of shepherd. It's etched on his heart. This is the same Peter who's grown up with the Jewish scriptures where the image of shepherd is used repeatedly to talk about the leaders of God's people. It's used particularly by the prophets when they pronounce God's judgment on the failed leaders of Israel. This is the same Peter who'd heard Jesus say with unprecedented authority, I am not the failed shepherd, I am the good shepherd. And as a younger man, Peter experienced what it was like to be shepherded by Jesus. He was one of the 12, that special little flock which Jesus tended and nurtured. Jesus had taught Peter. He trusted him with responsibility. Jesus had corrected him. Jesus had forgiven him. Jesus had loved Peter to the end. Jesus had been a shepherd to Peter. We might say that he discipled him. And, and it's with that understanding that Peter's now calling for a new generation of elders to be shepherds and disciples of the people of God. Here in Hamilton Road, we say that our purpose is to see unbelieving people become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We, we will never succeed in that work if our elders aren't faithful followers themselves if they're not disciples themselves committed to making disciples of others, they've got to be shepherds, to use Peter's language. Peter's told us what the basic work of eldership is. It's to, to shepherd and disciple people in the way of Jesus. Notice now what Peter has to say about how the elders are to go about their work. Peter instructs these elders using three contrasts, three not-but constructions. He says, be shepherds not because you must, but because you're willing, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Let's look at these three one at a time. Elders shepherd God's people, not because they must, but because they're willing. No one should be forced to be an elder, coerced or manipulated to take on these responsibilities. It's a responsibility that they must be willing to carry. That, that doesn't mean, by the way, that our new elders won't approach their ordination with some hesitation. It's possible that they'll struggle with, with feelings of unworthiness 
It's possible that they'll be thinking long and hard about the demands of eldership. That's not only possible, that's good. But underlying all this uncertainty and hesitation, they must have a strong sense that God is calling them and that they are ready to serve him in this capacity, that he'll equip them for this task. Be shepherds because you're willing as God wants you to be. Folks, bear this in mind. Try to remember this in a couple of weeks' time when you're making your proposals. God wants people who are willing in his service. Nothing kills ministry in a church than people taking up roles that they actually don't want to do. It's the willing whose work God's blesses. It's the willing whom God enables. Ask yourself, how willing will this, is this person to take up eldership in Hamilton Road and to make it a primary part of their calling? If the person that you're thinking of proposing is super busy outside of Hamilton Road, that they'd be unwilling to give up some of their responsibilities, that this job isn't a priority for them, then then please don't propose them. It's not the right time for them to be an elder here in Hamilton Road. Elders are to be shepherds in this church, not because they must, but because they're willing. You'll find the second of Peter's not buts in the second part of verse 2. <clears throat> Elders shepherd God's people, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Now, this is as good a time as any to let the cat out of the bag. Elders don't get paid. There's no money in this. Not for anyone. Now that we know that you can't make any money out of eldership, you might be inclined to look at what Paul's saying here and say, well, well, it's not that relevant then. Before we do that, let me point out that we can pursue dishonest gain in ways that has nothing to do with money. When he translates it in the message, Eugene Peterson has Paul saying that the elders do the work not calculating what they can get out of it. It's possible, you see, to enter into church leadership somehow thinking about what I'm going to get out of it. I remember the day when a professor in college challenged us students for the ministry and he asked us about what we were hoping to get out of it. He said this, raise your hand if the desire for honor and prestige have played their part in your call to ministry. We all looked around. Nobody raised their hand. So he packed up his stuff and walked out. As he left, he said, I'll come back and I'll start teaching this class once you're willing to be honest about who you are and your deepest motivations. When it comes to appointing people to church leadership, we ought to steer clear of anyone 
who might be calculating what they can get out of it. It might be honor and prestige. I'm an elder in Hamilton Road. It might be power that they want. If only I was an elder, and if I had my say, then would would be the right kind of church, would finally get this place sorted, would get things done right, by which they often simply mean done their way. Folks, the Bible is never naive about human nature. Paul warns those who would be elders against calculating what they can get out of it. He encourages them instead to be eager to serve. When it comes to a life of service, Peter was well qualified to speak on the subject. He had witnessed the greatest life of service ever lived. He had seen the king of all kings who had left the glory of heaven to live a peasant's life. One who came not to be served, but to serve. Peter had been in the upstairs room that evening in Jerusalem. He had watched as his friends were too too proud, not one of them ready to get down on his knees to wash the other's feet. And, And he saw that it was the master. It was Jesus himself finally who did it. Friends, the truth is that your elders, many of whom are extremely busy in their own homes, some of them still very busy in their workplaces, many of them who've carried this responsibility for not years but decades. These elders spend themselves in their service here, serving God and serving you. Our elders serve sacrificially. Anyone who will be fit to join them will need to have the same servant heart. For elders to be shepherds of God's flock, they need to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. In verse 3, we come to the third of these contrasts, these not buts, and it flows naturally out of what we've been reading so far in verse 2. Elders are not lording it over those entrusted to them, but being examples to the flock. Friends, it's, it's possible and it's common for men and women to take up positions of leadership in the church because they want to lord it over those entrusted to them. That's the biggest mistake people make about leadership. They think it's about being in charge. They don't understand that it's about service. We take on the role of policing the congregation, making sure that everyone stays in line. We take on the role of watchdog, guarding the perimeter, making sure the wrong sort don't get in and making sure the wrong sort are booted out. Rather than serving, we're controlling. It's a very real danger in church life. And that's why Peter warns us, elders ought not to be lording it over those entrusted to them. Folks, one of the simplest and most obvious questions about leadership is, is, does it work? What kind of leadership works? We all know 
it's, it's, it's not leading by giving people rules or by spouting ideas or by teaching. Leading by example is the leadership that works. And that's why Peter says we don't lord it over people, but we lead by example. If we want to make faithful followers of Jesus Christ, then we need to appoint elders in our church who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That's a challenge for all who give leadership here in the church. It's a question I'm constantly asking myself. If people follow my example, will they become more like Jesus? In a couple of weeks' time, our Kirk session is going to invite the voting members here to propose names of people you'd like us to consider as new elders. Before any one of us makes a single proposal in this election, we need to be asking ourselves, is this man or woman following Jesus? Does what I see in their life make me want to follow Jesus more? Will they be able to lead me closer to Jesus? If the answer is no to one or any of those questions, then that person simply isn't ready for the job yet. If the answer is yes, then put their name on that proposal form. These are precisely the kind of men and women we want leading us, shepherding us, discipling us. In a moment, we're going to come to the table here and we're going to break bread together. And you might wonder what that has to do with this. What does the death of Jesus Christ, whom we remember in the sacrament, have to do with leadership, which we've been looking at today in God's Word? That has everything to do with this. The link is clear in our passage in John chapter 10, the passage where Jesus spoke about his form of leadership. I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christians follow a leader who gave his life for them on the cross his body broken and his blood shed christian leadership is christ-like and cross-shaped service for the good of others as we come to elect new elders let's bear that in mind and as we come to this table Let's stand together and sing of our servant king.